Episode 14 with Kenley Neufeld. Where meditation meets daily life, this is the Meditation Freedom Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Meditation Freedom Podcast. My name is Sika Road, and today's interview is going to be with Kenley Neufeld. He is a teacher and practitioner of the Deer Park Buddhist Mindfulness Community in Escondido, California. And he was ordained in 2005 by Thich Nhat Hanh as a lay practitioner in the Order of Interbeing. He then received what's called the Lamp of Wisdom, or permission to teach from Thich Nhat Hanh in 2012. Currently lives in Ojai, California, and when he's not with his family or working on websites and meditating with his community in Deer Park, he also holds the position of Community College Dean in Santa Barbara City College. I'm not even going to attempt to list his resume because you would never get to the interview, and the interview is probably a lot more interesting to you uh, listening. And if you stick around, we'll uh, have a small kind of a bonus mini meditation at the very end of the interview, which Kenley will guide you into. As some of you may know, Thich Nhat Hanh is well known for his ability to be mindful and teach mindfulness. And Deer Park is one of those places. He has a whole bunch of monasteries that he and Sister Chang Kong and his Sangha founded. Deer Park is one of the places that Christina and I have been to a couple of times to practice as well and to attend retreats. And one of the lovely things about this particular community in Escondido is that it's in a mountain setting and every morning during retreats when it's about five o'clock or so you'll hear one of the monks or nuns ring the bells of mindfulness to slowly wake you up and it's a wonderful way to wake up in the morning. And in fact, I recorded one of those sessions one time and put it on um, YouTube. And now people are going to sleep and then waking up, being able to wake up with that wake up sequence with a big gong, which is a huge gong hanging outside. And then a monk or a nun chanting and slowly waking the community up. But anyway, a retreat like that is a wonderful way to practice mindfulness and then to learn to bring that mindfulness into your daily lives. And that's what we'll talk about with Kenley. And before we get into the interview, I just want to give you one quote from Thich Nhat Hanh. People usually consider walking on water or in thin air a miracle. The real miracle is not to walk either on water or in thin air, but to walk on earth. Every day we are engaged in a miracle which we don't even recognize. A blue sky, white clouds, green leaves, the black, curious eyes of a child, our own two eyes. All is a miracle. So with that, let's get right into the interview with Kenley Neufeld. Thank you so much, Kenley, for joining me on this podcast. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time out. Of course, it's a a pleasure to be here and chat with you for a bit. One of the ways I start the podcast is to ask the guests why they come to a meditation practice. In most cases, it's something that comes from uh, experience or 
an event that hap- that prompts you to to go okay i need something i need to do something <laughs> some kind of practice sure when i was in college i took a, a world religions class and at that time i wasn't that particularly interested in exploring meditation but it did kind of pique my interest and set a little bit of a a direction that i could look in the future if i wished to and uh, that was in the, see, that was the late 80s. And then in the, the mid-90s, I had been uh, participating in 12-step recovery programs, and they have a portion of that talks about meditation. So then I said, well, I'll, I'll try out this meditation thing. It sounds like it might be really helpful. And so I went to a, a Zen center, and, you know, I, I didn't really like it that much. So I picked up a book, and uh, it was about meditation, and I read the book. And so I just started practicing and sitting by myself in my apartment in San Francisco. And, you know, for me, five minutes was an eternity. So I would, you know, five minutes was my goal uh, to be able to sit and meditate. So it kind of, it, it, it uh, blossomed out of this uh, recovery, 12-step recovery experience and wanting to try meditation as a, as a method to touch into the spiritual side of my life. And I didn't really know or where it was going to take me or, or what I was going to do with it. But that's, uh, that's how it began anyway. Right. And, and was during the 12-step uh, program, do they offer meditation or is this something that is an additional, additional tool? That- well, the, there certainly are some groups that do uh, practice meditation. And at that time, there was, I think, maybe one in San Francisco uh, that was doing that. Um, but it's part of the, you know, being able to deepen our spiritual practice and being able to learn how to sit uh, still and just be able to reflect on this thing we call life and where we are and directions we might want to go. And I just wanted to do something a little bit more than what I had been doing. And I, I, I've always been somewhat on a spiritual journey, it feels like, for most of my life. And so it was an easy kind of segue for me to move into and to explore for myself. Mm-hmm. And were there any particular struggles that you had at the time that you that you thought needed addressing, or was mm-hmm. it just a general mm-hmm. type of spiritual uh, search for? It was. Spiritual? It was more of a general spiritual kind of search. There was nothing really specific at the time. I was trying to take my recovery very seriously, and one of the steps in the recovery program is to uh, explore meditation, and so that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to explore meditation. So, coupled with you know my experience with the 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 world religions class I had taken a few years earlier, my wife had given me a book called uh, "Pieces Every Step" by Thich Nhat Hanh. Mm. And uh, my desire to deepen my spiritual practice in the recovery community in particular, uh, all of those things kind of got me interested in, in meditation to the extent that I, you know, I, I did it somewhat regularly. And uh, I, de- I did attempt to go to a practice center, but it, it didn't stick for me at the time. And there wasn't any particular drama or crisis occurring in my life. Uh, it was just more of this general kind of let's grow spiritually and here's something to explore. Right. And then as you as you practiced over the years, did that 
did you start seeing things that you get you went like oh this is another good reason to practice mm. maybe you know like i was just quickly reading your one of your blog posts where you did a, a an address commencement address and you said you were a student who refused to wear shoes did not bathe mm -hmm. regularly <laughs> and generally didn't pay attention so was there mm -hmm. at what point in your practice did you go okay this is helping me with attention or mm -hmm. you know, things like mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. was there something like that a kind of an aha moment or well i i don't think the real aha moment came for for quite a few years after i started sitting and i think that the the meditation i was doing from say 1995 through about 2001 was i did it pretty regularly and I liked the way that it helped me to stop. I liked the way that it helped me to become more aware of my body. And yet I, I hadn't engaged in other elements of that. I was really very rooted in the recovery program and this was just one little piece or one little component part of that uh, puzzle of being uh, clean and sober. And so there, something did happen dramatically uh, in my life later, and we can talk about that also, that pushed me, I, what I like to say, onto the the uh, high speed, uh, you know, conveyor belt moving forward <laughs> on my uh, path of uh, meditation and mindfulness, and kind of transformed my being in a in a much more significant way than all those years of doing that the other just at my on my own by myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there is a huge difference, isn't there, between doing it on your own mm -hmm. and then f when you finally join a community that, mm -hmm. that works for you, mm -hmm. you know, w what was that experience like? So it was quite amazing because what happened is, well, September 11th happened and I was, you know, like most Americans, was quite uh, traumatized by that experience on different levels. You know, some of us experienced it in you know the horror of the of the uh, the twin towers coming down, but then also our response to it, which I think was w what really pushed me to see how very clearly how important community was. And I felt like I needed to draw myself in to others who felt like they could bring peace and be peace in the world. And I couldn't do that by myself. And I couldn't do that in my recovery program. I needed to find a spiritual community that really embodied these this uh, concept of being peace in the world. And so I, I went to the, the monastery in Escondido in Deer Park and um, learned a little bit more about being in community with people. And I went back home to the town I was living at the time, which was Fresno, California, and started a sangha and started sitting with people. And that just completely changed everything. Just sitting with a sangha, being in a community, and uh, practicing with others uh, allowed me to walk through this, uh, you know, this very dark time in American history. Those, uh, those years after 9-11 were pretty pretty difficult times all the way up through, you know, 2005 or so that we, uh, we really struggled as a nation. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, being in a Sangha uh, really helped me to navigate that and also to uh, not let anger be the primary feeling in my life.
And I thought meditation could help transform that. And so when you saw the reaction of a lot of Americans in the world, you wanted to respond in a different way than Mm -hmm. maybe the anger, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, the timing was was amazing because Thich Nhat Hanh had just written and released a book called Anger in 2001. And uh, he was on tour in the U.S. at the time of 9-11. And I was reading this book, Anger, 9-11 happened. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I have... You know, I have to do something different in my life. I have to uh, put more effort into uh, what Thai uh, Thich Nhat Hanh talks about, and, and and he is a teacher that that speaks extensively about sangha and how important. You know, we have the th- these three jewels. You know, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the sangha. And a lot of our practice communities talk about the Buddha and the Dharma. And don't always, uh, you know, bring sangha to the same level. Which for me, sangha is so so deeply important to our well-being as an individual as well as a society. And uh, that's, you know, so Thai's teaching on peace, Thai's teaching on the social work, social justice work that we've done, and, and a teacher who's come out of a war conflict, and that he also speaks so strongly about sangha. Those were the things that really attracted me to his. Uh, community in, in particular, and, and that's where I decided to put my energy and my time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you mentioned also in that, uh, going back to the commencement address, you said that right after you had spoken about the importance of peace and and community, a, a lonely person was shooting up, I think it was your campus, right? Uh, well, it was the UCSB, yeah. so across town, but he had been a, a student uh, at one point on our campus, and the the uh, a lot of our students live in that area, so yes, that was definitely um, a very you know continues to be a challenging experience for the Santa Barbara community. Right, and and you said that part of that was loneliness that, mm-hmm. and that somehow was fueling the the anger. You think, or what component does uh, loneliness play in that? Well, I think each of us, and, and it goes back to this idea of the of the sangha. You know, I think that uh, the human uh, being really craves to be apart and to be together with others. And I think that as we moved into the the twentieth century and the twenty first century, we, we've become a lot more, you know, disconnected from. Mm-hmm. Uh, the roots of our families, the roots of our communities, because it's so easy for us to move around and travel and and you know live a thousand miles away from our family, and and yet for for millennia, for all of the eternity of humanity, that has not been the case. I mean, you, people have lived together in community with their blood family as well as other families that they've known their whole lives forever. And I think that those elements, and not to say there's not suffering in those environments, because clearly there there is, but that uh, all of those elements build this support network that uh, allows for us to see each other. And I think that uh, not being seen brings this loneliness to individuals. And then if you couple that with mental health illness and mental issues that... Uh, that can really lead to these tragic events uh, like we experienced in our community. And so um, I can't say that Sangha is going to be something that solves that particular incident, but I do believe that 
we can work together as communities of people to to bring a little bit more well-being into the society and it starts with ourselves it starts with our own practice and how we are able to transform our own suffering our own loneliness and being able to um, see with a, a, a different set of eyes right and, and Thich Nhat Hanh talks about looking deeply right to see mm -hmm. to see that you're not necessarily a separate self a separate mm -hmm. individual mm -hmm. and that's mm -hmm. to me that's a big part of of how to solve loneliness is to mm -hmm. see through that the uh, illusion of being separate mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well the interbeing nature of all that exists essentially that uh, we certainly all come down to being stardust and our relationship travels all the way back through the cosmos all the way to the present where you know, we have this relationship with the planet, we have this relationship with each other, and there is no way to really separate them from each other. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the, I mean, obvious, the most obvious things are, you know, without the sun, for example, we, there would be no life here. And uh, so that's, uh, you know, one big thing that's very clear, but I think it can be brought all the way down into our in, most intimate relationships and how we connect with each other and you know our our feelings our perceptions they get passed on from our our previous ancestors and so there's this connection between the past and the present which then can inform the future right right and maybe you can explain a little bit more to somebody who's never heard the word interbeing what what, <laughs> what you mean by that uh, well, interbeing, uh, for for me, I mean, there's probably some great uh, definitions you could look up on that, but that, that there is this idea that there isn't any separate self, that um, I am because you are, and that there's this connection uh, between us, and uh, that our, you know, our relationship exists uh, in interrelationships so that my well-being and my taking care of the planet uh, as an example is going to uh, bring well-being for more than just me I mean it's going to be for everyone else but you know the air I breathe uh, in my house for example is also breathed by my children and my wife and my pets and the plants and so we're constantly exchanging this uh, you know on a physical level we're constantly exchanging uh, each other, uh, but I think on a you know a, a philosophical or or a educational aspect of interbeing is that there's no no separate self, and mm -hmm. I mean this is one of the most deepest and oldest teachings of the Buddha, you know, of talking of of uh, this no self uh, that uh, we can't have. And Thay's most famous uh, story that he tells is that uh, we can't have the the uh, the lotus without the mud, you know, that there's this relationship between the lotus and the mud. Uh, it's just like the planet can't be without the sun. So mm -hmm. that's that interbeing nature of all things. In terms of your, your current meditation practice, do you struggle with anything right now that's, or that's still difficult? You're definitely going to keep on practicing with that's a good question because so today my practice is pretty you know it's comfortable I've done it for a long time and um, I, I really need to always come back to and remind myself that meditation isn't just what I do on the cushion in the morning when I get up 
So I get up every morning, I sit on the cushion, I spend my 30 minutes, my 45 minutes in meditation, and that is bringing that awareness to my, my breathing and maybe looking deeply at something in my life. But what I try to remind myself is that that meditation is what I do each moment of the day and how I wake up in the morning and how I walk across the floor when I walk to the toilet, what I do when I brush my teeth, how I prepare my meal, how I drive my car, how I interact with the people that I interact with at work. And all of those pieces are meditation. And so it's not a struggle, it's more of trying to always remind myself that each moment is a moment to, to be mindful and uh, to be present for what's in front of me. Just like you and I are speaking right now, and though there's other things happening around me and there's other thoughts that may come and go in my mind, that when those arrive, and they arrive, you know, and, and, and they could be a, a thought such as judgment of like, oh, why did I say that? I can't believe I said that, you know? Mm -hmm. That could be going on around in my mind while I'm talking to you. And so my meditation, and I think all meditation, is being aware that that's happening recognizing that it's happening and letting it go without, mm -hmm. without judgment. And so if I can bring that into all aspects of my life, then I walk in a much more free way and I can be a lot more at ease with my interactions and, and those things that go on around me. And uh, that's, that's the, what I try and do with my meditation uh, these days. Yeah. With so, varying degrees of success, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. We're we're all practicing together in a way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And do you have any advice for someone who 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 may, you know, have a hard time with bringing their meditation and their presence and uh, being trying to be fully present for everything they do? Like you mm -hmm. know, like you say, by being mm -hmm. in the car and mm -hmm. and do you have what what advice would you have for someone who struggles with that? Maybe. Absolutely. So I think that the best thing that we can do to support our practice is to create an environment in which we can practice. So what do I mean by that? Well, um, I try and set up conditions and reminders so that I can have that opportunity to practice. And so whether it's a little sign in my bathroom by the sink that has a little... Uh, gata that says, you know, what to do while I'm brushing my teeth, then that's what I have. And so I've set up a condition for to allow that to happen in my bathroom. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've trained my mind to, when I wake up, I have a little verse that I say when I wake up. And uh, it took a lot of, you know, it took some time, months, maybe years, I don't know, to have that seep deep enough into my consciousness so that when I wake up, it just comes, it arrives. And you know, yeah. it's waking up this morning, I smile, 24 brand new hours are before me. I vow to look at all beings with the eyes of compassion and love. And if I start my day that way, I've set a vow and an intention of how I want to live that day. Yeah, that's a great way to start. 
Yeah, yeah, but it took some training. So I had to set up the condition to remind myself. So putting a little note there in the morning to do that, and I don't need the note anymore, but it's there. And, uh, you know, it, it also comes into my work environment. So I want to be able to be present for the people who arrive in my office at work. And, and so what I need to do is I set up conditions in the environment that allow me to be present. So I have a desk and I have a computer and I have chairs where people sit. So I put the computer so that it's behind me when I'm talking to somebody. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't see the screen. So I have to turn my chair around to talk to someone in my office. And so I don't have that screen distraction while I'm talking to someone so that I can be present and be there. And on my desk where I meet with someone, I keep it clear. I don't have anything there. I have a nice uh, bamboo uh, branch, and but nothing else. And so again, it's setting up a condition so that there's nothing there for me to distract the myself from being present for that other person. And uh, no one will notice that, but it's there for me. It's there to remind me that Nothing else is more important than the person sitting across from me at this time. And so let's not put anything in the way of that happening. So that's how I practice my mindfulness and uh, meditation uh, of being present each moment. And do you have little, um, do, you, do you take moments or timeouts during the day to take mm-hmm. a few breaths? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do a couple things with that. So on my computer, I, I run an application that every 50 minutes a little a message will come up and uh, it's 20 seconds long, not very long, and, uh, and uh, calls for me to stop and to reflect on something, you know, my breath or looking out the window or, or anything pleasant like that. So that's one piece. And then I always uh, try to practice walking meditation. When I, so I work on a college campus. So there's always opportunities to walk long distances between buildings because a meeting might be over there or I need to meet someone over there. So um, I try and practice walking meditation when I move between the buildings. And, and again, nobody needs to know I'm doing that. Right. All it is is bringing my attention to my, uh, my breathing and my footsteps and uh, not having to talk on the phone or check my email because you can do that while you're walking. Yeah, not multitasking. Uh, <laughs> exactly, or texting <laughs> or whatever it is. And so I, I, you know, I try and keep that in my pocket if I can and enjoy the beauty of uh, the environment that I work in. So uh, there's, all, there's so many opportunities if we just allow ourselves to, to let it happen and, and let go of this... Uh, multitasking and in a rush to get from A to B. And, you know, we arrive uh, when we get there. So it's right. a nice, uh, you know, it takes, you know, it's been a lot of years, of, a lot of years of discipline. And, uh, and that's, part, that's why the sitting meditation in the morning, uh, which is practice on the cushion, uh, helps inform all those other pieces of the day because it allows mm-hmm. me to see my mind more clearly and be aware of my body in a different way that, that if I didn't take that time in the morning to uh, to look deeply into my being as a uh, you know this physical space that's me, um, it would make it a little bit more challenging. I think to be present in other environments than sitting on the cushion. Right, and it slows you down enough too. I think mm-hmm. today I saw it on a job application. Uh, must be multitasking or something like that <laughs> you know and and some of us as geeks who've done a little bit of mindfulness mm-hmm. will say that's not 
necessarily how you get stuff done faster if you're do constantly yeah. switching tasks in your brain. Yeah, yeah. Well, the research actually says the opposite. You know, the right. research says that uh, switching those tasks so quickly, yes, you can do it. Uh, I mean, there's no thing, there's no such thing as multitasking. It is actually switching activities quickly mm -hmm. is not good for cognitive process, and uh, and it could actually have long term impacts. And so, um, I, you know, I've made some changes in my uh, again in my environment, my physical environment, to support less multitasking like turning off all the notifications on my phone I have a cell phone I love my cell phone I have mm. another blog post on that topic about how much I love <laughs> technology and uh, and yet it's not good for it to be beeping at me every 30 seconds or one minute or five minutes you know I check it often enough as it is I don't need a notification so I, I turn all that off so that I don't have to have that constant distraction right it's probably distracting enough as it is. <laughs> yeah, and it, it I think it ruins productivity too. Mm, yeah. People will say that's that's good, you know, more yeah. f faster and Yeah. But, you know, like uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, I, I would say he's probably one of the most productive people. <laughs> <laughs> How many books has he written? Yeah, 90 like or something? 100 books, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's amazing because he truly, you know, he I look at someone like uh, my teacher and I see someone who has this seemingly endless amount of energy and capacity to be present. And he's, you know, almost 90 years old. And, and so I know that there's a way to do it and to be peaceful and free. Because I live a really full and complete life. I do a lot of things. I love what I do. And... It's not for everyone, uh, but having the mindfulness practice, the meditation practice really helps ground so much of it so that I can, I can do a lot of things and have that capacity and that energy because I know also when I need to rest. I know also how to take care of myself and to take it easy and uh, not push myself if I can't push myself any further. So... You know, uh, he's definitely an inspiration, and and I I wish him uh, healing and recovery as he's he's currently in the hospital uh, from a stroke, and I know that he's pushing hard and and making a great deal of effort to heal his body and and to uh, be able to come back and be uh, a teacher for us in in uh, in a way that we like to see him. Of course, he'll continue to be a teacher in 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 my life for the rest of my life because I uh, have uh, gained so much from my experience with being his student. Mm -hmm. And he said, um, this is kind of a Buddhist thing, he said the Buddha is the Sangha. How do you interpret that? Mm. Well, he talks about actually that the next Buddha will be the Sangha and I think that that's, uh, he really sees the power of the Sangha. That mm -hmm. Collectively, you know, he he's spent the last few years talking about this collective awakening, that we need to have a, a collective awakening. And uh, it goes back to the same teachings that uh, Martin Luther King gave about the beloved community, that we have this ability, if we work together, to be able to transform uh, ourselves and our communities and the, and the world, that uh, we don't have to 
go into this level of despair that there's this capacity to uh, go beyond that and so I, I really see this idea of of uh, the Buddha community being our capacity to to live in harmony and transform our society and our world so that's how I, I see that mm-hmm. yeah and, and to me uh, there's also a little bit of a message in there about how we don't need to have just one person be responsible, mm-hmm. you know, where we can all take, you know, kind of co- co-responsible yeah. for awakening. Yeah, yeah. Well, we all have that capacity to wake up, you know. That's yeah. a very common teaching that we all have this, uh, when we bow to each other in a, a formal way, you know, it's that, it's that acknowledgement, that acknowledgement that this person, you, have this capacity to wake up and uh, that we can do this together also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think that's a, a really uh, great statement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And have you noticed, um, or is there any movement you see in your organization, like in colleges and curriculums? Do you see any movement towards bringing a little bit of mindfulness, or maybe even creating a, a mindful room mm. in a in a uni- place like a university or an organization? Uh, do you see something like that happening yet? Well, we certainly have individuals that are very interested in uh, bringing this type of practice into uh, college communities and to young people. And we do, within uh, the Plum Village Thich Nhat Hanh community, we do have uh, an an entity called the the Wake Up Community. And the focus of the Wake Up Community is 18 to 35-year-olds. And so they will go out and offer programs and lead meditations and that type of thing with college campuses. And so they'll go around to a group of college campuses. And for me, you know, I I do also uh, have led a a meditation group on our campus for the last nine years. So we have a a group that meets once a week and we just do 30 minutes of sitting. It's really simple. Uh, Anyone's welcome. There's no... uh, it's not affiliated with any religious uh, organization or anything like that. It's just this space provided for people to come and sit and be still and be quiet. So, and, and does the does the campus have a dedicated space for that? Or no, we don't really have the physical capacity for that. I think some of the larger universities definitely have uh, moved in that direction of providing those kinds of spaces. But on our camp, I've always done it in my office, which supports. You know, I can usually have eight or ten people if I needed to. Uh, so it's a comfortable size office, but no, no, no dedicated space other than that. But there's always outdoors, and we are in Southern California, and yeah, right. the weather is usually pretty nice. So it's uh, yeah. other opportunities. I see it happening though in the future, where um, mm. corporations and they'll actually designate a room because they'll yeah. realize that there's a, a financial um, return on investment there. Yeah. Well, we definitely see more of it happening in uh, the corporate world, and particularly in the technology corporate world. There's this great uh, interest and movement with uh, meditation and mindfulness and um, providing those spaces and opportunities for the employees to to do that. If you have any resources online that you want that you'd like people to check out mm-hmm. about you and what you do? And then we could also do a mindfulness bell because I, I actually recorded the big bell where you can put 
probably all my dogs could fit inside that bell in Deer Park. <laughs> <laughs> I keep imagining somebody sitting in the bell. It's so big and, and uh-huh. beautiful. Uh-huh. But I recorded that because for me, I like uh-huh. to, what I did was I, I created an eight hour long track and then I put it on YouTube for myself, um, uh-huh. but then also to share with uh, people who might also uh, find use to it. I do one bell every half hour. Mm. And then that's my way of, uh, you know, just like an app, it's it's huh. a way to uh, trigger oh. and give myself permission to take 10 breaths. And, uh-huh. Yeah. Interesting. Um, do you want to just share your, your resources first and, and then I'll play that bell and maybe you can tell somebody what you would tell them before they listen to the bell? Uh-huh. Okay. Sure. I can do that. So I think for uh, more information about the work that I do, uh, I have a local community that I lead uh, in Ojai. Uh, that Ojai is O-J-A-I, and that's ojaimindfulness.org. And uh, if you're in this area of the world at some point, uh, definitely please reach out to me and, and join us a little bit. And uh, for our uh, practice centers, we have Deer Park Monastery, and you can just go to deerparkmonastery.org, and that's in uh Southern California, but we also have practice center in Mississippi and New York and Germany and uh, Hong Kong and France and Thailand and Australia. And I, I can assure you that if you go to any of those practice centers, they will all have the same kind of feeling and energy of practice. And uh, so uh, you'll feel very at home if you visit one and, and enjoy it. You can go to any of the other ones and have the same kind of uh, experience. So um, those are probably two of the, uh, two of the best resources uh, to help point you in the right direction. If you're a young person, you can go to wakeup.org, and that's actually W-K-U-P, uh, W-K-U-P.org, and I learn about what uh, is happening uh, with the young people of the world. I don't qualify anymore. I've, I've moved beyond that apparently in age. So, oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But I bet inside of inside of you, you don't you just don't. Oh feel yeah, way. no, yeah. I'm like, am I really that? Oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm getting that old. So, <laughs> when you lead a session with your students, maybe you can give some pointers when they hear the bell, mm-hmm. and I'll I'll play three bells, so it'll be like sixty seconds or so. Okay, okay. And then they, we can do a mini meditation uh, okay. for the the people listening. Okay. You know why do we why do we use the bell? Well, this bell is is uh, usually produces a very lovely sound, and it's a nice sound to help harmonize our breathing and our body. And uh, it's an opportunity for us to come back to ourselves, to our true selves, in the sense of being able to let go of our worries, let go of our our projects, and to be able to come back fully to this present moment in time and to be able to give all of our attention to the sound of the bell. And just breathing in, I, I, I hear the sound of the bell. And so when I, when I invite a bell, I have a little verse, and it's something about sending my heart along with the sound of the bell. May the hearer awaken from forgetfulness and transcend all anxiety and sorrow. And then we hear the bell, and then you as the listener can come back to your breath and be present and listen, listen to this wonderful sound of the bell calling you back to your true home.
Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Kenley Neufeld as well as the little bonus mini meditation towards the end. And uh, please let me know if you found that helpful. You can find out more about Kenley and his practice and his community by going to meditationfreedom.com slash 14. And I will make sure I have links to his practice center as well as the YouTube video that I mentioned and maybe a couple of books by Thich Nhat Hanh that you can follow up on. And of course, let me know in the comments at the bottom of the page for the show notes what you thought of the interview and maybe provide some more comments and feedback. And as always, you can support the show by going to the support the podcast tab on the Meditation Freedom website. And I have a bunch of ideas on how you can support it, whether that's no cost, like leaving a review in iTunes, or whether that's a small donation. That's it. Next week, we'll have an interview with one of the listeners of this podcast, and he will talk a little bit about how he's working with meditation and how it's helped him in his life. And uh, I also want to thank Tom in Zagreb, Croatia, for listening and your feedback. That's wonderful. Thanks so much, Tom. Well, have a wonderful rest of the evening or rest of the day and take care until next time. Thank you so much for joining us on the Meditation Freedom Podcast, where meditation meets daily life.